Welcome to the 235th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our look at week 11 of college football, our look at week 10 of the NFL, our weekly look at the NBA, and our first weekly look at college basketball action for the 2023-2024 season. With all that content on our menu, let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And we will start in the NFL, where Patrick went 3-1 and one with his weekend predictions. In college football, perfect 4-0 and oh for Patrick once again. And in the NBA, Patrick went 2-2 two and two with his weekend predictions. That makes him 10-2 and two in the NBA this season. His first loss is coming this week. Uh, and then finally, in college basketball, Patrick also went 2-2. Two and two. That brings Patrick to a combined... 11 and four for 11 and five for this week. That's an 863 and 566 resulting overall record, a 60.4% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your 16 weekend predictions. Well, I thought I did well this week. Um, it is not the second four and a week in a row in college football. I haven't had a four and a week in a very long time. Um, but nonetheless, very happy about that. Um, went back to the formula of just picking Three home teams, one road team. This week, I think it just worked better based on who the teams were. Um, you know, ten, Missouri was actually a, a underdog at home against Tennessee, but they ended up destroying Tennessee. Um, we'll talk about that more later, I think. Yeah, we will. Um, and then in the other games, Michigan won on the road, beat Penn State. Uh, Washington held their own against Utah, although it was probably closer than they expected it to be. Um, and then Georgia was able to easily take care of Ole Miss, but that's not really surprising. Um, so I got all those games right um, in the NFL. The Vikings beat the Saints. Uh, I believe New Orleans might have been favored in that game, but I don't know for sure. I, I think when I was looking at it, they were. Um, the 49ers went on the road and beat the Jaguars. That one was kind of predictable, but uh, the 49ers did respond in a big way with that win. The Browns beat the Ravens, which is the only game I got wrong, but they probably shouldn't have lost that game. Um, and then the Lions beat the Chargers on the road. Uh, which was another game that I got right. So very good in football predictions. And then in the NBA, uh, like you said, finally lost a game. Uh, the Mavericks beat the Clippers 144 to 126. I got that one right. The Clippers look terrible. We'll talk about that more later. Um, the Lakers beat the Suns 122 to 119. LeBron got injured in the first quarter of this game uh, and then came back actually and led the Lakers to this comeback over the Suns without um, being 100%, which was very surprising. Um, but then the Heat beat the Hawks 117 to 109. Jimmy Butler wasn't even playing this game. So this is a really good win for the Heat um, and a pretty bad loss for the Hawks. You got to take advantage of those opportunities when you get them. Uh, when, you, when you're fully healthy and the other team is uh, not playing their stars. Um, but then the Sixers beat the Pacers 137 to 126. And I got that one right. So overall, two and two in the NBA. In college basketball, these games were really close. Uh, Virginia beat Florida 73 to 70. That was a last minute type of game. It wasn't like Florida hit a three at the end uh, to cut it from two possessions to a three point game. That was a really, really close game. Um, but I did get that one wrong. And then number 12, Arizona went on the road and beat number two, Duke 78 to 73. That one I knew was going to be really close, really up in the air. I mean, preseason rankings wise, when you get those types of matchups, you just don't, you just never know. Um, I picked Duke because I just assumed that, you know, a, a team playing their second game of the year away at Cameron Indoor um, wasn't going to be a recipe for success for Arizona, but Duke wasn't really up to the challenge when it came to playing that high-paced um, 
really good offensive Arizona team and also a pretty good defensive team as well. Um, but Duke did lose that game. I got that one wrong. Um, and then number nine, Tennessee beat Wisconsin on the road, 80 to 70. So I got that one right. And then Boise State beat San Francisco, 63 to 58, which was another game I got right. There will be better games uh, next weekend. Fr- frankly, all the best games of the maybe all of the non-conference slate are actually tonight um, because it's the Champions Classic and the Gavit games. But, you know, that is the way the college basketball schedule flows. Um, so I'll have better games next weekend. Um, maybe, I, I guess I should say, more ranked games next weekend, ranked versus ranked matchups. But these matchups will end up being important when we look back at things at the end of the year. Yes, and my apologies for my confusion about your perfection. That was in the NBA uh, as opposed to college football. In any event, another successful week for Patrick's predictions. And let's see how successful he is on next week's predictions, uh, which will be posted on our website, as always, on Thursday. Moving right along with our packed agenda here, let's take a look at college football, starting with the best games of week 11. Yeah, I will start with Florida State beating Miami 27 to 20. This game wasn't necessarily as close uh, on on the field as the scoreboard would indicate at the end of the game. Um, But nonetheless, Florida State once again kind of escaping with another victory over a team that, you know, maybe isn't that good. Uh, Miami's just an okay team. They're they're. They're six and four, so they're going to make a bowl game, but they are two and four in ACC play. So clearly not one of the better teams in the conference. Um, but, you know, Florida State, they're, they're doing what they need to do. They're taking care of business. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the Pac-12, if, sorry, if the CFP committee decides to move Washington ahead of Florida State because they've been playing better opponents in the Pac-12 uh, and they've been winning those games. And speaking of that, uh, we talked about it earlier, Washington beat Utah 35 to 28. I'm going to do a little combined talking about these two games, but uh, Washington was down 28 to 24 at the half. They scored 11 points in the third quarter, and that was all they needed uh, as they held Utah scoreless for the entire second half. But it is worth noting that, you know, both of these teams are 10 and 0 and undefeated in conference. Washington now has uh, another ranked win on their ledger. They've beaten the number six team in the country and Florida state really doesn't have the wins on their resume that other team that, that, or that Washington does. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if the if the committee moved Washington ahead of Florida State. Um, but in the by the end of the season, I don't think it's going to matter because, as everybody knows, you know Michigan and Ohio State are both ahead of Florida State. They play each other. The loser of that game is going to be below Florida State and Washington, and maybe even Oregon. Who knows? Potentially, I'll say. Um, but if these two teams stay undefeated, they'll be able to they'll be able to make it. If it's Georgia and then you know winner of Michigan Ohio State and then um, these two are undefeated, it would be them in the playoffs. So um, I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference if they make that switch, but it would be interesting to see it happen. Um, and I think Florida State does have to start winning games by a bigger margin, just in case there's the scenario where, per se, an Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, and it's really close, and Georgia's only loss is to Alabama uh, on the year and you know they might get the one seed at that point so th- they just want they should really want to avoid that situation on uh, just because their resume doesn't look that strong and it would improve a lot of their overall metrics if they were able to start blowing out these bad teams that they're playing um, and then also they need to capitalize and obviously win the ACC in the first place same thing with Washington and same thing with number six Oregon who beat USC 36 to 27 uh, this game look USC they still they still can't play defense, um, but they did better in the second half than they did in the first half. Uh, Oregon was up twenty two to fourteen at the half. 
USC scored 13 in the fourth quarter to make it closer, but Oregon still pulled away with the victory, uh, the nine-point victory. This was still a close-ish game, though. Um, and Oregon, they need to win games like this. Uh, obviously, if they want to stay in the playoff conversation, which currently they're firmly in it, uh, they're going to have to run the table in the Pac-12 and make sure they make it to the Pac-12 championship game. And then they're going to have to beat Washington when they get there. Um, and then, actually, there's still not a guarantee that they're in because they're going to be a one-loss conference champion at that point. But I think they would get in based on them already being sixth in the country because um, they are ahead of the Big 12 potential champion, which is Texas, who beat TCU 29-26. to 26. Uh, Texas was dominating this game up 26-7, to seven, or sorry, 26 to six uh, until the fourth quarter when TCU went on a run and almost came back in this game, scored 20 points in the fourth quarter uh, to keep it close. Texas had one field goal though, that separated the game at the end uh, in the fourth quarter. And then finally you have Michigan who went on the road and beat Penn state. Uh, no Jim Harbaugh in that game. Penn state uh, probably wishes that their head coach was suspended because James Franklin did his typical decision-making stuff. Um, went for two at the end of the first half in a 14 to nine game, made it a five point game instead of just making it 14 to 10. And, you know, it's pretty early to chase points and make it a, a field goal game, but it didn't really matter because Michigan scored again, uh, made it 17 to nine, eventually made it 24 to nine. And then Penn State had to come back. They scored a touchdown and they missed the two point conversion again. So uh, 24 to 15 was the final score in that game, a really odd way to get to 15 points. But Penn State uh, found a way to do that. Um, but look, Michigan looked good, uh, did not throw the ball in the second half, but that was by design. Uh, you know, Penn state has a really good pass rush. Uh, one way to circumvent that is just to not pass the ball at all. Um, but JJ McCarthy was under a lot of duress early on in that game. So it made sense to, uh, kind of shelve the passing game. Um, and Michigan did that. They pulled it out once they got a pass interference penalty out of it. And then they just went back to running the ball for the rest of the half and it worked out. Uh, the defense held up strong. They knew that Drew Aller could not beat them. So by the time that the game was getting late, uh, Penn State was going to have to start throwing the ball. And when they did, it went horribly for them. Um, and that has been the key this year, that the reason why people thought Penn State uh, was going to be really different this year and maybe actually contend with the Ohio States and the Michigans of the world is that Drew Aller was supposed to be uh, better than, you know, Christian Hackenberg, Trace McSorley, uh, Sean Clifford, all those guys in the past, nobody in particular, just all, all those quarterbacks they've had recently. Um, but the fact of the matter is, he hasn't been. He might have been actually the worst of any of those four names I just mentioned so far. Um, he looked terrible in this game. And, you know, they fired their offensive coordinator. I guess that's what they think is the problem. I don't think that's the problem. Um, but I, I don't want to put the game all on him. But the fact of the matter is, they were supposed to be better because he was supposed to step up. And he just hasn't so far. And as a result, you have this Penn State team that's kind of just stuck in the mud um, in the same place that they always are, beating all the teams less talented than them, never able to punch above their weight. Um, and that is the story of them for now. But Michigan now will move on to playing Maryland. And then, of course, the big showdown with Ohio State at the end of the season, who won their last game and now play Minnesota before playing Michigan. So both those teams should be 11-0 heading into that game once again. Yeah, uh, we will talk about that game in the coming weeks, but everybody's got that Saturday, uh, Saturday after Thanksgiving at high noon on the East Coast circled. All right, let's move off of the best games to some impressive teams that games weren't so good. Well, number 14, Missouri just trounced number 13, Tennessee. 
Uh, Tennessee, I believe, actually scored first in this game, and then Missouri scored 36 unanswered points. I might be wrong about that. Missouri might have scored the first touchdown, but I know that Tennessee was up, actually, in this game. I know that for a fact. Um, scoreless through the first quarter. Uh, that was Tennessee's first scoreless first quarter in 39 games. I think all the games under Heupel, pretty much, um, which is crazy, but Missouri's defense was really, really strong in this game. Uh, not much to say about it. I mean, their defense just dominated Tennessee. Uh, that one scoring drive was all they could get. They turned them over a bunch. Uh, their running game was really effective against Tennessee as well. They had a lot of big plays in the run game, some big plays in the passing game as well, and that was just enough to uh, end up getting a comfortable 29-point victory over a team that was ranked one spot ahead of them heading into the week, uh, although I had Missouri higher than Tennessee, so I will take a victory lap for that one. Uh, and I also picked them, even though they were underdogs in Vegas. Uh, but anyway, then you had Alabama, who has really started to round into form recently. Uh, they beat Kentucky 49-21. to I don't necessarily think this team is good enough to beat Georgia, uh, but I think they can put up a fight, and then you never know what happens in a close game. Um, they're definitely getting to that level, and they've been getting better every week. Um, since they've really put, put, the, put Milrow in the reins and just kind of let him lead, uh, they have been a lot better. Milrow had a great game. Um, he's really had multiple great games in a row to the point that I think he's now top eight in Heisman odds, um, which is crazy to think about um, when you consider the fact that there was a game where he didn't even play um, at all because they were experimenting between the two backups to him and seeing who could start over him instead. Um, and, you know, he had the rough game against Texas as well. But now all of a sudden uh, he's figured it out and they're really humming along um, because of the fact that he has been amazing uh, in the last few weeks. And then speaking of amazing, Georgia got Brock Bowers back, uh, had no trouble putting away Ole Miss. This game looked like it was going to be close for a while. Ole Miss was tied 14 to 14, but then Georgia's defense just, they just locked down, honestly. Um, they, Georgia got another, another score uh, to make it 28 to 14 at the half. And then Ole Miss didn't really have a response. They kind of needed to get a response coming out of the second half. They didn't score uh, in the third quarter. Georgia added on another 10. And then Lincoln, you'll miss it. Georgia was eventually up 52 uh, to 17. And that was the final score of the game as uh, Georgia ended up with a rout of Ole Miss. Um, I didn't expect that game to be particularly close, but I did expect it to maybe stay within, you know, 20 points. Um, so Georgia uh, just defying expectations there going above and beyond to destroy the Rebels. Okay, now let's move over to the biggest upsets of Week 11 in college football. Well, they're both going to be in the Big 12. Both of those teams that the playoff committee overrated a lot for beating Oklahoma, um, and they put them both above Oklahoma, but they're not better. Texas Tech, 4-5 and five on the year, goes on the road, beats number 16, Kansas, 16-13. to 13. Kansas did not score until the fourth quarter. Texas Tech was up 10 to nothing at the end of the first. 10 to nothing at half, 13 to nothing at the end of three quarters, and then got one field goal uh, near the end of the game to make it 16 13 and defeat the Jayhawks on the road. Uh, not a good showing for Kansas at all. Maybe they, go they got caught looking forward to their matchup with Kansas State that's this weekend. Um, I, I will give them the benefit of the doubt and say that that's what it was. But Texas Tech is four and three in the Big 12. They have the same record as Kansas um, in the Big 12, at least. So you know, it's not like this team is that bad. Um, they just had some early season slip-ups. Uh, they lost to an Oregon team that we now know is really, really good. Um, and then they lost to Wyoming, who is, they're they're good, but not a, not a team Texas Tech should have lost to. Um, but they lost that game in overtime, lost to Oregon pretty much on the final possession. So 
there are a few there are a few bad bounces away from being seven and three. Um, so you know they could be a lot better than their record actually shows. And then another four and five team, although this team is struggling in conference, um, is UCF. They went three and zero in the non con, but they have struggled since then. Four and five on the year, but then Oklahoma State came to town and uh, UCF was not uh, dealing with anything that. Cowboys had uh for them they won 45 to 3 this was just a dominant dominant performance by UCF I really don't have much to say about this game um except for I like UCF's blue uniforms uh, even though that's not their colors at all they look nice um but they were up 24 to nothing at the half uh Oklahoma State really had no chance uh they they were up 21 to nothing then it started 17 to nothing then it started raining uh, Oklahoma State turned the ball over a few more times, and that game was just over basically before the second half even started, which is not something that you want to say when you were contending for a Big 12 uh, championship game appearance like Oklahoma State was. And then on Kansas' side of things, they, if they had just held their own against Texas Tech, would be 5-2, and two, uh, and they'd be tied with Oklahoma State in terms of that Big 12 championship game race. So now it's really just wide open. I think Iowa State actually controls their destiny um, in that race. And then, you know, Texas is kind of the team that looks – locked into it but otherwise Oklahoma State five and two but looking vulnerable Iowa State has the head-to-head win over Oklahoma State I believe and they're also five and two in conference and then you have teams like Texas Tech and Kansas at four and three and I think Oklahoma is also five and two but they obviously have that head-to-head loss against Oklahoma State so the big 12 race is going to be wild to see who gets that second spot Um, but we'll just have to see what happens at the end of the season for now you got to look at that UCF upset and really show that um the Knights really threw a wrench into what was supposed to happen in the Big 12. Okay, let's shift gears from college football and move over to the National Football League with the closest games of Week 10. I will start with the London game that I was definitely not awake for because why would I be? Um, the Colts beat the Patriots 10-6. to That is the reason why I didn't tune in. It was probably the most boring game of the year. Not very surprising given the teams that were on the field. Uh, although the Colts have been decent on offense this year, so maybe you expected something out of them. Um, but... They were not there to provide it. Um, and then, um, you know, the Patriots bench Mac Jones on the final possession. Bailey Zappi threw a pick on a fake spike. Um, just a very Patriots way to end the game, at least the recent years of the Patriots, obviously, not the Tom Brady years. Um, but look, that game was close. That's why I mentioned it. The Colts are five and five. They're actually kind of trending into that wild card conversation. They are definitely um, somewhere in the conversation. I don't know if they're a prevalent part of it yet. Um, but speaking of the wild card conversation, the Texans went on the road and beat the Bengals 30 to 27, uh, 10 to seven. They had the lead at the half. The Bengals came roaring back uh, when the Texans, I believe, were up by multiple, multiple scores. I think they were up by I think they were up 20 to seven at some point in this game. Um, but the Bengals came back. Uh, they made it close. Tyler Boyd dropped a touchdown uh, that really, I mean, he was wide open, but he just kind of took his eyes off it and this time just jump and then dropped it. Uh, the Bengals settled for settled for a field goal on that drive to take the lead over the Texans and then, or excuse me, to tie it up. Um, but then the Texans went down the field uh, and were able to get another touchdown or were able to get a field goal, excuse me, um, to get the game winning drive uh, and go up 30 to 27. And that was, I think with no time on the, on the clock, they kicked that field goal. So they ended up winning 30 to 27. Uh, CJ Shroud is the best rookie quarterback by miles. He is the best rookie by miles. No offense to Puka Nakua. He is on my team, but um, he's the runaway favorite for offensive rookie of the year. He has only two interceptions um, and has been throwing. I mean, he's thrown for like almost a thousand yards in the last two weeks alone. 
Uh, he he's just he's ridiculous. Honestly, it's all you can say about it. Um, and the Texans all of a sudden, after being questioned about their draft strategy, uh, they have come away looking a lot better than teams like the Bears, uh, teams like the Panthers who traded away their picks, uh, or sorry, got the picks from the Bears. Um, you know, you know, traded away DJ Moore, uh, and the bank and the Bears not looking better with DJ Moore. So overall, the Texans definitely. Uh, despite being probably questioned the most for their draft strategy, and I think rightfully so, um, at least at the time. Now, with hindsight, we can see that they knew what they were doing, um, and they are doing really well reaping the benefits of that. Uh, then you have the Vikings who beat the Saints 27-19. to They were up 24-3 to at the half, so, you know, the Vikings did leave this game. They left the door open in this game a little bit as the Saints defense tightened up on Josh Dobbs and Co. Um, but at the same time, the Vikings were able to make enough plays at the end of the game stopped the Saints from scoring, um, and ended up with the victory. And they are now 6-4 and four on the season after I think they started 1-4. and four. So a good, good rebound for the Vikings. Obviously no Kirk Cousins, so not really looking like a Super Bowl contender or anything like that. But the fact that they're 6-4 and four without having Justin Jefferson for the last four or five weeks, uh, without having Kirk Cousins for the last two and a half weeks, that's a pretty good sign for them uh, going forward. And I think they'll still be able to make the playoffs even with Josh Dobbs because if he's already winning without Jefferson on the field, he'll be even better when he comes back. Um, The other reason is their division is terrible. And speaking of that division, the Steelers beat the Packers 23 to 19. That put the Packers at three and six on the season. They are having a rough year. Uh, There is one very good team in this division that we're about to get talk about. Um, Look at the Steelers, man. They're six and three. They are somehow ahead of the Bengals. Um, they're right up there with the Ravens and the Browns. They're tied with the Browns. They're a half game back of the Ravens, uh, if you want to look at that. But that division overall is just stacked. I mean, the Bengals are at the bottom of it at five and four, which is crazy. Um, but the Steelers, they are making their push to be a playoff team. And right now, as things stand, it looks like they are going to be one. Um, if they can keep up this level and they're look, they're gonna have to steal some games from teams in their division that on paper are better than them and will be favored, but if they are able to do that, then they will win. Uh, they will get into the wild card at least. I don't really think they're going to win that division, but they, they I guess, technically have a chance because they're not far behind in terms of games. Uh, then you have the Lions. They went to 7-2 and two on the season with their win over the Chargers, uh, easily the anchor of their division. Um, they're just, I mean, th- this offense is just really, really good. Their defense has gotten better, I would like to say, over the year, but, you know, the Chargers did just put up 38 on them, so eh, maybe not. Um, but then you have the Browns who engineered a comeback against the Ravens. They were down two touchdowns, came back in this game. Um, and eventually the Ravens, uh, Lamar threw a pick six. Um, that It was tipped up into the air, but then it was picked off and returned by Greg Newsom uh, to make it a one-point game. If Dustin Hopkins had made the, the extra point, it would have tied the game. Uh, but eventually the Browns got the ball back. Deshaun Watson had a really important scramble for 15 or 20 yards or so. Uh, to get the near field goal range. They got one more pass to get into field goal range. Then Hopkins hit the game-winning field goal uh, as time expired to win 33-31 to 31 on the road over the Ravens. Um, a really impressive comeback victory for the Browns, and they needed that one uh, to not go to 5-4 and four on the year. And as we mentioned in that division, that's not a good record there. Um, so they needed that win, and they got it. Um, so we'll see what happens with the Browns going forward. Obviously, their defense is really, really good. And they can continue to lean their heads on that. Um, and then you have the Seahawks who beat the Commanders 29-26. to This game really shouldn't have been close. I mean, there were a lot of really close games this weekend. Uh, six walk-off field goals, which was an NFL record. 
Uh, this game shouldn't have been one of those games, but it was. Nonetheless, the Seahawks come away with the victory. They move to 6-3 and three on the year and hold serve when it comes to them in the NFC West race against the 49ers. Uh, the Raiders beat the Jets 16-12, to 12, which really, really ugly game. Hard to watch. Um, but the Raiders are now 5-5 five and five on the season, 2-0 and with their new coach, uh, or with an interim coach, I guess, Antonio Pierce. And then finally, the Broncos beat the Bills 24-22. Penalties just destroyed the Bills in this game. The Broncos missed the game-winning field goal, but the Bills had 12 men on the field. Uh, so the Broncos got to re-kick that and then kicked the game-winning field goal and escaped with the 24-22 victory on the road over Buffalo, who continues to tumble down in the standings and look honestly pretty bad uh, over the course of the season. All right, let's move on to the most impressive teams of Week 10. The 49ers beat the Jaguars 34-3. to um, Not much to say about that one, just pure domination from the Niners. Uh, Christian McCaffrey's touchdown streak did come to an end, which I know uh, Niners fans aren't exactly happy about. Uh, they tried to get him a score on the final drive of the game, too, but they weren't able to do it. Um, but look, they're happy with the victory. Um, McCaffrey might not be happy that that streak ended, but they were dominant. Um, the Jaguars really don't look like a team that can hang with the Super Bowl contenders, but they still are probably going to be a playoff team once again. Uh, although maybe, you know, they take this as a lesson um, and they realize that they have to really raise their level to get to playing against those types of teams if they really want to contend. Um, and we'll see what happens with them over the course of the rest of the season, although they won't really be playing any contenders in their division because their division's terrible. Um, but then the Buccaneers beat the Titans 20-6. to They are now 4-5 and five on the season. Why does that matter? Because speaking of terrible divisions, they are probably in the worst division in the league. Uh, the Saints are currently leading that division at 5-5 five and five now that the Falcons dropped that game to the Cardinals over the weekend. Um, and the Buccaneers are, what, half game behind at 4-5. and five. So uh, they they somehow still have a chance. Um, of making the playoffs basically just through winning that division. This could be one of those divisions that has a losing record um, for the division champ, and it wouldn't really surprise me at all. Um, but overall, the Buccaneers, just good performance by their defense, holding the Titans just to six points. Derrick Henry was completely ineffective this game because of the Buccaneers' uh, run defense. So overall, just a great performance by them to get the victory and move to four and five on the season. Okay, let's move off of football and turn our attention to basketball, starting with the NBA with our second weekly look at NBA action. And let's start with the most impressive teams of last week. The Rockets went 3-0 this week. Um, they are now 6-3 and on a six-game winning streak. They beat the Lakers, the Pelicans, and the Nuggets this week. Uh, you know, many people, maybe myself included, off the podcast, made fun of making a core of a team off of Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks um, and then a bunch of you know, first and second year players. Um, but look, they're six and three. Like I said, um, could they lose five in a row and just, you know, go from people thinking they're a good team on a good streak to just being a streaky team because they would have lost three in a row and then won six in a row and then lost five in a row? Yeah, they could absolutely do that. But for now, they deserve a lot of credit um, for where they have uh, built themselves, for what they built themselves into and uh, the, the course that they're on for the rest of the season. We'll, again, we'll see if that actually continues but for now they look really good um and they can brag about that but we'll see if it holds up then you have the sacramento kings uh they beat portland oklahoma city and cleveland uh the kings finally got two wins without deer and fox after i don't think maybe winning one game no actually not winning any games when he was out previously maybe one um and then they carry that momentum forward uh when he returned against the Cavs last night kings have now won three in a row and they're back over 500 
Uh, obviously, not the hardest competition to win those three games, but doing so without their star is uh, it was an important turning point. Uh, the Kings really needed to show that they could take care of some bad teams um, when they don't have De'Aaron Fox because, look, last year they were pretty much healthy the whole year, but that's just not the way that NBA seasons go, uh, as we all know. So the Kings need to be able to deal with injuries when they come up, and it looks like they're starting to be able to do that. Um, and then you have the Timberwolves. They went 3-0 this week. Uh, they beat New Orleans, San Antonio, and Golden State. Anthony Edwards is just amazing. Um, he did a he, he his highlights at the end of the game uh, against Golden State speak for themselves. Speak for themselves, excuse me. But um, just just go back and look at the end of the that game and look at how he dominated a team that's normally pretty good on defense. Uh, they have Andrew Wiggins. They have Draymond Green. He really didn't care who was guarding him. He was going to score over them. Um, and the rest of the team is really starting to feed off his energy because he has been super, super successful. Uh, they're now 7-2, and two, which is an amazing start to the season, um, doing a great job holding their own in the West uh, and starting to really look like a contender. Um, so good for the Timberwolves, having a good season. Uh, and then finally, you have the Heat, who went 3-0 this week. Uh, they beat Memphis. They beat Atlanta. They beat the Spurs after a 1-4 and four start to the season. Uh, they woke up, and now they're sitting at 6-4 and four and looking more like the team that made the NBA Finals last season as opposed to the team that, you know, was in the play-in bracket a few years ago. Uh, this team is just, they should be winning more than they were at the beginning of the season, and they're starting to show uh, the signs of getting better, um, which is a good thing for the Heat, and it's something that we know is going to happen eventually. But you'd like to see it earlier in the season than it's occurred the last few years because they really are, are, are dogging themselves in terms of seeding by the fact that they just start every season so slow. Um, so maybe this little winning streak can get them on a hot streak early, and then they can actually have a good record at the All-Star break and not need to be panicked so much about even making the playoffs in the first place. Um, and then, you know, maybe if you rest some guys down the stretch a little bit, you can be healthier heading into the postseason. They might be, they might be even more formidable uh, in the postseason than they were last year. But for now, they need to be happy with their winning streak, getting the six and four in the season, uh, and just looking better overall. Okay, let's uh, flip sides of that coin to the least impressive teams of the past week in the NBA. By far the number one team on this list, the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, they went 0-3. They lost to Memphis, Dallas, and Brooklyn, so you cannot say it is a competition thing for them. Memphis is probably the worst team in the league right now. Uh, Brooklyn is definitely not one of the better teams. They're, they're okay, but, you know, for a team like the Clippers, they should be able to win that type of game. Uh, since the Harden trade, this team just looks terrible. I mean, it is, it is very easy to say. Uh, not because of opponents, like I said, and they're now 3-6 and six on the season. Uh, things are just, you know, things are just not going well for the Clippers. It is not um, their year, it seems. Um, but, you know, they have, obviously, they have the talent to figure things out. They have James Harden, they have Paul George, and they have Kawhi Leonard. And, I mean, even Russell Westbrook has looked pretty good this season as well. Um, so they have pieces, but the fact of the matter is, uh, I just don't see how they're going to fit together when you consider, you know, how frankly Harden's teams have looked recently. Um, it just doesn't seem like he's the engine that can, you know, motor a team. And maybe there's something backstage going on with the Clippers, but I don't want to try to glean too much from, uh, you know, a team with a lot of talent underachieving. It happens all the time. Um, but then you have the Warriors. They also went 0 3 this week. Every team on here went 0 3. Um, but I'm not worried about them long-term like I am with the Clippers, um, but they lost to Minnesota, Cleveland, and Denver. So, you know, they lost the defending champs. That's fine. They lost to Minnesota, who's 7-2. and two, That's fine. Uh, Cleveland's a good team as well. You know, the Warriors 
are, are good enough that they should probably win at least one of those games, probably two, but they're still six and five. And we know their core has been together for a while. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. Uh, now you can throw Wiggins into the mix as a part of that core since they did win a title with him too. Uh, and, you know, they have Chris Paul as the guy who's kind of quote unquote broken up the core. So it's not even like, they have an experience issue whatsoever. They're going to be fine long-term. It's just a fact that right now um, it's not looking too good for them. Um, but, you know, still six and five, not bad. Um, and overall, we'll, we'll see if the Warriors uh, end up with uh, as good of a season as they've had in the past. Um, but the Pelicans, they are 0-3. Um, they went 0-3 this week as well, I should say. They lost to Dallas, Houston, and Minnesota. They're four and six on the season in a crowded Western Conference, as I've said. They just have to be better and beat some teams um, who are better than you eventually. You know, that's something that you're going to have to do if you want to make the playoffs in the West. Um, but for now, uh, this team is not going to be a playoff team if they keep playing like this. Um, I suspect they're going to start playing better. They have the roster to do it. Um, but there's always a chance they end up in the play, and I, I don't think they're necessarily a lock to make. The regular playoffs with their roster. And then finally, you have the Spurs, who are 0-3. Uh, they lost to Miami, Minnesota, and New York. They started 3-2. and They're now 3-7. and uh, Wembenyama looks fine, but this team is clearly just not primed to compete in a stacked West this early on in kind of their maturation as a team. So, so far, haven't looked the best recently. Okay, let's uh, finally turn our attention to college basketball with a look at some important results in early season contests. Oregon beat Georgia. 82 to 71 on the first night of the season, uh, a big win for the Ducks. They are kind of supposed to be a borderline-ish tournament team, so we'll see if they can continue that momentum going forward. Then, obviously, there was the big upset of opening night, James Madison going on the road and beating number four, Michigan State, 79 to 76 in overtime. Obviously, it's a huge upset. Um, James Madison, though, that's a good team. Uh, I don't have them in my top 25 currently, but they're trending that way. Uh, and look, I did have them before the season as I think, you know, one of the top two or top three um, uh, group of not group of five, sorry, mid-major teams. I forgot the word because it's still kind of football season for me. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that they're supposed to go on the road and beat the number four team in the country um, in the first game of the season. So, look, James Madison playing really well to start the season, um, eventually moved to three. Now we'll talk about one of their other games in a second. Um, but Princeton beat Rutgers. 68 to 61. That was a big upset. Rutgers is supposed to be speaking of borderline tournament teams, kind of in that Oregon, maybe closer to that Georgia tier um, of borderline teams that could make the tournament, but probably won't. Um, but this was a really bad start to the year for them. They have looked pretty, pretty bad coming out uh, of the start of the season. Then you had Abilene Christian who beat Oklahoma state 64 to 59. Nobody really has super high expectations for Oklahoma state, but the fact of the matter is they need to beat a team like Abilene Christian um, I'm just throwing this out here as, you know, one of those upsets where that just shouldn't have happened um, at all. Louisville is the victim of one of those as well, but we don't talk about that because they're just terrible. Um, Oklahoma State has at least been okay the last few years, so this is a game they probably should have won, but they didn't. Um, then you have number 21, USC, who beat Kansas State 82-69. to USC looking good without Bronny James uh, to start the season. Isaiah Collier had a really, really good game. Um, so, look, USC, they're looking good. Uh, they definitely moved up in my rankings. I had them lower than probably the AP. I think I did have them lower than the AP poll did. Um, but now I'm starting to track more along the AP poll's uh, opinion, 
with USC because they just looked good in that game. Um, and then number 20, Baylor beat Auburn 88 to 82. Baylor, people are doubting them a little bit based on just, you know, not having the exact amount of talent that they've had in the past and really not having those guys carry over from from prior years. But they hit the portal and they got a lot of good players um, out of the portal. So if those guys can gel together, this team could be really good by the end of the year. Um, obviously good coaching on that team. So you trust them to put it together. It's just that early on, it might look a little ugly and, you know, it did at times in this game, but eventually they came out, they got the victory. Um, and that's what was important. Then you have number 10 FAU who beat Loyola Chicago 75 to 62. Elijah Martin wasn't even really playing at full strength in this game, came off the bench instead of starting. He was the co-preseason conference player of the year in the American, along with his teammate, Janelle Davis. Um, so, for Martin and not really play that much and them to still come out, have a really dominant game, especially on the defensive end against a, a decent Loyola Chicago team. Um, it's a good sign for FAU going forward. Um, obviously, they're going to look really good early in the year, considering that they've basically returning the entire roster from last year. I mean, they got they have 30, 13 of the, of the 14 players uh, who made that final four run last year. So they should look better than most teams early on because they have that continuity and they're not really figuring out their roles. They already know their roles. Um, but we'll see what happens when they start to get into conference play. You know, they're going to have another interesting matchup with Memphis last year. That was a tournament matchup this year. That's going to be an in-conference matchup. Um, so we'll see what happens with FAU. But for now, I think they look good. Uh, then you have Mississippi State. They beat Arizona State 71-56. Uh, two pretty much borderline tournament teams. So an impressive win for Mississippi State there. Uh, number 23, St. Mary's beat New Mexico, 72-58. to 58. Uh, Good win for St. Mary's to start the season, but more on them later because their momentum didn't last too long. Uh, James Madison beat Kent State, 113-108 in double overtime. That was a really, really exciting game. James Madison scored five points in less than two seconds uh, to end up with the victory there. So a really good game by James Madison, really good start to the season for them. They've scored... Uh, a lot of points. They they put up 100 for the second game in a row when they beat Howard after this. Um, then you have Northwestern who beat Dayton 71-66. Northwestern with kind of, you know, maybe looking to be one of those teams that kind of move into that third or fourth place spot in the Big Ten with the power vacuum behind uh, Purdue and Michigan State at the top. Although, you know, maybe Michigan State isn't as good as we thought they were either. So who knows if it is that if, if the power vacuum even starts uh, after number two, it might start after number one. Uh, but then you have number 12, Arizona, beating Duke. Talked about this one already. Number nine, Tennessee, beat Wisconsin. We talked about that already. Um, so an upset in one of those games, and then a good win for Tennessee on the road in the other one. Then you had number 15, Texas A&M, beating Ohio State, 73-66 to on the road. Uh, A&M looking good to start the year. That was a good quality win. Ohio State not exactly one of the better teams in the Big Ten, but definitely a team with potential. Um, so a good win nonetheless. It's good to go on the road. Um, and get wins over good teams this early on, uh, which they did. Then you have Duquesne, who beat Charleston 90-72, to a really important mid-major matchup. That'll come important for seeding. That'll be important when it comes time to seed teams later on in the year. Uh, but for now, just a good win for Duquesne, uh, beating a Charleston team that was really, really good last year um, and returned most of their players. Then you had Davidson, who beat Maryland 64-61. to Maryland actually started the season 1-2. and two. I didn't even talk about their other loss. Actually, no, I am going to talk about their other loss. Um, but, look, that's not a game Maryland should be losing. They were actually picked uh, in the preseason polls to be that third-place team, uh, and it's not really looking like they can uh, fill that void, uh, and as we'll talk about later. Uh, Virginia beat Florida 73-70. That would be bad if it was 37, but it's Virginia, so who knows. Um, talked about that in the predictions a little bit. 
Then you got Memphis who beat Missouri 70 to 55, getting a 15 point road victory over a good team is always a good sign. Uh, so a good one there for Memphis. Then you had Weber state. Yes. Damian Lillard university, Weber state beat number 23, St. Mary's 61 to 57. That is a huge, huge upset after St. Mary's had some momentum by beating New Mexico. They kill it all early with that loss to Weber state. I think they'll be fine by the end of the year, obviously, but that is not a good loss to take. Um, and then you have UAB who beat Maryland. Uh, UAB was 0-2 before this, so Maryland just looks terrible. Uh, I have no more words about that, but they're definitely not the third best team in the conference. Uh, speaking of who might be the third best team in the conference, Michigan beat St. John's 89-73 to in the Garden. Uh, that was an impressive victory. Michigan was a th- two-and-a-half point or three-point underdog in that game. So to come out and absolutely dominate St. John's, uh, Jawan Howard's not there. Jalen Llewellyn is still is still injured. Jace Howard is still injured. Um, so Michigan has reinforcements coming along, and they're already this good. So that's a really good sign for them. Um, and then circling back a little bit, Boise State beat San Francisco 63-58. to um, A good win for them in their to put on their non-conference resume. San Francisco is going to be a decent team. It's a really good program overall. Um, probably not a tournament team, but at least they'll float around the bubble for most of the year. Uh, and then Penn beat number 21, Villanova, 76-72. That was not supposed to happen. Um, Villanova just continues to not really look like the Villanova of old. Uh, and that was a big upset by Penn to start the season. And then finally, number two, Purdue handled their business in the Gavit games, beating Xavier 83-71 to last night. Um, it's always good for a top team to take their first real test of the year and just look like a good team uh, when playing that. Obviously, that was not the case for Michigan State, but Purdue was able to do that. All right. Well, that wraps up our first look at college basketball for the year. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, November 21st, where we will once again look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, have a look at week 12 of college football and a week 11 action in the NFL, uh, have another review of the NBA season, and have our second weekly look at the college basketball season. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including the 4th and 24 college football poll that is posted every Monday, Patrick's NCAA basketball tournament bracket that will be posted tomorrow, his picks for next weekend's games that will be posted as always on Thursday, all of that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.